Hey everybody, it's Drake. I made a little oopsie when we recorded this episode and my webcam mic decided to take over my stand-up mic. So my audio is pretty crappy. Um, I also just want to let everybody know that we just recently had a bunch of awesome team members join the Brain Buzz podcast team and they have been doing an amazing job uh, with our social media uh, content creation and it's been really fun just to have uh, new faces uh, on the team so if you want to check out our new team uh, go to brainbuzzpodcast.com and check out all of their bios they're amazing people and they've been helping us out a ton anyways enjoy the show cheers hey everyone kyle here i uh, just wanted to say thanks uh thanks for joining us on this journey as we've been creating all these episodes and sharing this fabulous research with you uh we've really enjoyed having you along for the ride if you've enjoyed it maybe you can leave us a review let us know what you thought um and help other people find this content you know it means means that somebody else might stumble upon it and, and be inspired to pursue a little bit of a career in science maybe or even just listen along and, and educate themselves anyways uh do so wherever you found the podcast and of course follow us on social media we're all over the place twitter facebook reddit maybe even tiktok at some point in the not too distant future oh and of course mm -hmm. youtube now and naturally of course the one and only instagram so don't forget to follow us on any of those platforms you might enjoy absolutely and you know what pal speaking yeah, of right. instagram i was recently scrolling through instagram as i do when i'm procrastinating as, as one does yeah. as one does yes. and so as i was going through i noticed for like the millionth time this one couple that's been posting love letters and ballads and just Ooh. honestly it's, it's getting a little infuriating right now yeah that's that's icky it's icky yeah yeah I, I totally understand. Yeah, and so I, I texted your wife to tell her to stop fucking posting these these, <laughs> these pictures. <laughs> and uh, and I think she's gonna stop honestly. But like uh, jokingly, I thank mean, God. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't imagine what's gonna happen when your baby is coming out. All these pictures of your baby on top of it it's gonna be ridiculous, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. You know us, big big posters. We're yeah. big. Big content people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I, mean, I mean, but I say that, but like at the same time, there's a lot of people that like that are constantly posting, and we, you know, we think of it, or I, I know a lot of people that think of them as like, you know, the, maybe they're overcompensating for their relationship or something like that. And like, you know, you always like everybody has someone that's either posting on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, it's a little too cringy or a little too often about their how their good their relationship is or how great their relationship is, right? It's like, what the hell's going on there? <laughs> you don't see the bad days. <laughs> you know, I mean, and sometimes you do with those. Some some couples love to air their grievances out, which is just even worse. But that's not what really interested in right now. Uh, that's so, a whole other. That's a whole other cat of worms. That's a, that's a whole other amount of research that I think people are doing. But I mean, I think we were thinking about this. You know, we've been thinking about Valentine's Day just came up. You know, you saw a lot of lovey posts and things like that. But you know, what about on days it's not on Valentine's Day? And like, when are when is posting not good for you, or is it an indication that your relationship is bad? Like, these were things that we're, we're kind of curious about. And so we got Dr. Gwendolyn Simon on, and she is specifically doing work on how couples post uh, in social media and what that really says about their motivations and what they're really getting out of that. So I think it's really it's a really cool episode. Uh, we're really stoked for everybody to listen to it, and uh, we hope you guys enjoy.
Friends, colleagues, and presenters of romantic relationships on social media, welcome to another episode of Brain Buzz. We are your hosts, I'm Kyle. And I'm Drake. And today we are joined by a social psychologist, a writer at Psychology Today magazine, and Associate Professor of Psychology and Department Chair at Albright College, Dr. Gwendolyn Seidman. Gwendolyn, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. We're really looking forward to chatting. Yeah, so Gwen, we uh, reached out through Twitter amazingly. So I mean, it's, it's not a coincidence that we're going to be talking about social media today. But your work is really, really cool, especially, you know, we're recording four days after Valentine's Day, and it's kind of on the top of our, 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 uh, our heads right now after editing episodes on Valentine's Day. Um, so your work specializes on how couples use social media to present their relationships. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're going to be talking about today? Sure. So um, a lot of my work tries uh, to kind of focus on why people present their romantic relationships the way that they do on social media. Uh, a lot of the sort of earlier research was mostly focusing on, you know, what people do and that sort of thing. Uh, but there are lots of reasons, you know, why you might post something on social media. You know, it could be because you really want to connect with your partner in some way and express some kind of positive feelings. Uh, you know, it could be that you're trying to show off your relationship. Um, it could be that you want to show other people that, you know, you're, you're taken or your partner's taken, um, you know, or you might have motivations to, you know, hide that relationship. You think it's private, that sort of thing. So that's what I'm particularly interested in is kind of the those underlying reasons and whether or not those reasons are kind of related to different levels of relationship satisfaction um, and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. So with, with this, like, I'm going to ask the, yeah, a tough question off the bat. And I said I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> actually, it's not even that type of question. Who am I kidding? Uh, so, so what's going on with the people that want to refuse to post about their partner? What's going on with them? Why are they doing that? Well, um, it seems like the reason that they're doing that <laughs> um, is often um, that they are less committed. Uh, so, people that are less less committed, less sure about the future of the relationship, um, are in fact, you know, less likely to to want to put it out there. Um, as well as you know, people who might still be interested in looking around for other people. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not a great sign. I'm not saying that everybody obviously <laughs> to post about the relationship isn't committed. Um, you know, I'm sure there are other, uh, other reasons like just sort of general concerns for privacy that play into that too. Uh, mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it, it is associated with maybe some not so good things about the relationship. I, I was going to ask about the privacy thing because uh, just from my own experience, I don't post much about my relationship on social media because I'm a very private person and my wife is a very private person and we both have jobs, uh, you know, being as the two of you are as well, being in academia, we don't really want to have, you know, students seeing what's going on in my own personal life, right? So I, I wonder, you know, how, how do you balance that or, or what would you say to somebody who wants to be private but is in, in a very loving, committed relationship? How do you, how do you distinguish those features in a in your studies. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, in a lot of in the studies, we're sort of measuring all these different motives. And I haven't really tapped into sort of general privacy concerns. Like, I'm sure that that's part of it, because it's not like this correlation between not wanting to show your relationship and uh, lack of commitment is, is gigantic. You know, it's a it's a significant correlation. It's there. Um, so there's obviously other things that explain, you know, what's going on with that motive. And so I, I do think I'm, I'm certain that I haven't measured it, that yeah, a lot of people just don't like to do that kind of thing. I'm also like that. I post, you know, very little uh, personal stuff in general on, on social media for partially, partially the same reason. It's, uh, you don't want people seeing certain things. And 
uh, and that sort of thing. And, you know, people might just feel like it's not not appropriate or whatever. So, you know, I think that it's definitely not like a, a bad sign necessarily. Um, I would say it would probably be a particularly bad sign if somebody was posting other kinds of things that seemed to be of a personal nature, um, but yet somehow this was, was not there. You know, it's right. characteristic of the way they usually use social media. Sure, sure. Yeah, if they're posting other rather private or intimate details about themselves, but not about their partnership, then that would be cause for concern then. Yeah, so I'd be more concerned if it was inconsistent with the rest of their you know, presentation. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, so what in what have you researched within this? Like, why are people posting online? Why do you post online about your partner? Why do you post pictures? Uh, you know, however often you do, why are we doing it? Yeah, so there's, I mean, it's kind of funny, you actually just had uh, Gary Lewandowski on your show, and he was talking about, like, another reason, which was, like, attachment insecurity, which I haven't really studied, uh, but uh, there, there is evidence that, you know, people might sometimes do it as a way to compensate for a weaker relationship. Um, in some of my research, I was really trying to kind of um, suss out the difference between those things, um, and a lot of this actually came from even interactions with my own, you know, undergraduate students who I was doing research with. Um, they would be, you know, kind of surprised um, to find out that a lot of the research was showing that couples that posted a lot of stuff on social media were actually like very satisfied with their relationships and committed because they had this attitude of like, oh my God, I hate it when these annoying people are posting about their relationship. It's so gross. Um, and there actually is other research that shows that people do in fact like find that gross if people are really mushy gushy <laughs> about their relationship. So people don't like that. Um, and one of the things that um, I was trying to do in this work with um, a former student of mine, Amanda Havens, who graduated a long time ago, so long that makes me feel old, I guess, that uh, she, she uh, was interested in that. And we looked at the difference between behaviors that were just sort of posting pictures of myself with my partner, posting things about my partner, posting stuff on what was then the Facebook wall um, about my partner. And then we had stuff that we called like uh, excessive displays. We had a hard time naming that, but uh, we were trying to think about stuff that was a little bit more over the top. And we didn't want to ask people, you know, are you over the top? But we basically kind of asked them, you know, how often do you post the kind of information about your relationship or partner that, you know, might be potentially embarrassing? Um, or how often do you post stuff on your partner's wall that you might not be comfortable saying, you know, in, in person or content that shows more affection than what you're normally likely to express in public? So these questions were sort of very specific about um, doing things online that weren't reflective of your sort of offline way of being, you know, in terms of your relationship. And that goes back to, I think, your first question, too, about privacy, that if I'm the kind of person who posts nothing personal on Facebook, then the fact that my relationship isn't up there doesn't tell you anything, right? But it's more, is this inconsistent with what I normally do? So we were kind of trying to get at that match between, you know, the public and private there. And we basically found that uh, people who engaged in those kinds of displays were actually less satisfied. Uh, people who were engaging in just generally posting about the relationship, that was positively correlated with satisfaction. Uh, so you know, it might be, and so that I think ties in well with the attachment anxiety idea. If I'm doing this out of a place of you know, insecurity, then it's going to mean something different. And so even if something might look the same to an outsider who's judging it and says, oh, that's a corny post about your, your partner, uh, what's going on inside you know, might depend on whether or not that really is an accurate reflection of how those people usually interact or present themselves in public. 
Right. I'm thinking of like, when you say excessive display, it just kind of makes me chuckle because I think everybody can kind of relate to either, you know, one couple that they have on their Facebook page or their Instagram page that's always posting these things. Um, or maybe multiple couples. I mean, there might be a lot of people on your pages, who knows? But I'm curious, you know, you saying excessive displays and, and not not specifically being like, oh, do you think it's excessive is really important, right? Because they might think that, you know, writing a, a what is it, a love sonnet or whatever, like a, a soliloquy <laughs> for their partner <laughs> uh, online with you know, pictures of them making out is appropriate, right? Uh, so, I mean, like, what about, you know, the social aspect, we'll get back to the relationship itself, but what about the social aspect of, you know, putting off your followers or your friends? <laughs> like, is there something that, that's being done on that to see, like, are people being rated less desirably as a person if they're doing those things? I mean, I only know of, like, basically, I think one study, I'm not saying there aren't more, I know of one study that I think I was talking about before that looked at um, how people responded to those kind of social media posts. It was like an experiment where they showed you sort of hypothetical fake posts and, uh, for people that were coupled, like if they had some relationship stuff, like they had a couple photo as a profile photo, that sort of thing, then people actually perceived them more positively. So people who were coupled, but then had, you know, no trace of their relationship at all, like a single photo and no relationship status, people actually thought less of the person. Um, they, I mean, they thought they weren't, they weren't really somebody who cared about their partner or something, <laughs> as opposed to someone who just wants privacy, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they actually rated that person lower, but somebody who had really like over the top kind of lovey-dovey posts about their partner, they also disliked that person too. So it was like, there's like a, <laughs> where, you know, you're showing that you really are like, you know, I guess fulfilling the good social role of being in a relationship and having your little couple photo, but you're not being gross about it. And I think that's kind of, you know, what, what that research suggests. I love the gross, how you, how you as the you know professional say gross, because it yeah. works so yeah. perfectly in this situation. I think, and, is this kind of just like the new age PDA that's going on here that you're, you're we're kind of experiencing? What do you mean? It's like, like a generational thing? Yeah. I mean, I mean, a technological new, the new PDA where it's like, you know, your, your public displays of affection where it used to be making out on the bus. Now it's, mm. you know, you're making out on my page and I don't want to see it while I'm scrolling through Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. I mean, that would be interesting because I actually don't know. I don't think there's actually a ton of research on any kind of like PDA, even what you're talking about, like the sort of making out of the bus kind of thing and what, what's behind that. And is that really, you know, the PDA on the bus that you're looking at, is that unbridled, uncontrollable passion? Or is that people just trying to, to show off or make other people uncomfortable? Like I'm not really sure why people um, engage in that. I mean, I think with the the Facebook stuff or the social media stuff, um, I wouldn't say it's unbridled passion because, you know, you don't just spontaneously post something. You have you think about it. You choose to put it up there. Um, but, Very you know, but I would say like some people's idea of what's, you know, what's quote unquote gross, you know, is different than other people's, you know. So, you know, all of us here were saying we're kind of more private. So we probably have a pretty low bar for like, this is too much. I don't need to see this. You know, whereas other people might think like, oh, that's really sweet. So I think people have a different, you know, a different bar for what they think is is appropriate. Um, you know, as far as people doing it, I think it, it probably tracks the same thing. I think if you're somebody who thinks like, oh, what are you talking about? This is just nice. This is great that you're much more likely to do it, you know, and, and post those kinds of things. So um, it is kind of, yeah, as you said, a new, a new way to, to have <laughs> kind of PDA. It also depends on the audience too, because one of the things that's really tough, like doing this kind of research is these platforms are changing all the time. 
And you know, a lot of the earlier research was on Facebook and you would find undergraduate students posting lots of personal stuff on there. Whereas now Facebook is where everybody is and that's where your, your mom and your grandma and your, your aunts are on there. And so young people aren't gonna be posting things that might be embarrassing and stuff like that on Facebook. And so it's, uh, you kind of have to ask them about other social media in general, but then you're not sure which platform you're asking about at that point. But Facebook is like something everyone has, but you know, younger people just don't disclose as much on it as they used to. That actually um, brings me to a question that I have for you. Um, and I'll make this a two-parter. So um, does the platform matter? So do we see differences between, say, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever the kids are using? <laughs> like, are there differences between them? And, and if, if you had to say just off the top of your head, hey, uh, the way that they show something on Facebook is going to be different than Instagram, do we have to duplicate our research in each platform? Or can we, are there commonalities between them? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's something I think about a lot, even when I'm like reviewing other people's papers, because sometimes I'll see researchers saying, let's look at this thing on Instagram, or let's look at this thing on um, Facebook. And, you know, I do think it it matters. I think it matters not so much because of features of the site, because they're all kind of doing the same thing. I think it really is what people think their audience is. And so, you know, Facebook, as I said, and a lot of that's like extended family. Um, Instagram, I think, tends to go a little bit more toward potential public uh, stuff, a little bit more like Twitter, like you might have followers who you don't know personally. Um, and then, you know, there might be other platforms that are a little bit more personal. I know everybody used to be really into like Snapchat for a while, but I feel like that went away. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's hard, hard to keep up with these. Uh, these I uninstalled, I literally uninstalled Snapchat the other day. I was like, I, I don't, don't nobody's it's using over. this. It's over. Yeah. Well, it's generation over. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But one of the problems with studying this area, like a real challenge, is that these platforms change all the time. And so you'll have even questionnaires that are used will have terminology that refers to a specific site, or even the way a site used to be set up. Like I use the word Facebook wall. That's not like what they call it anymore. So it it's really ends up being difficult to kind of connect different streams of research or use the same measures and even adequately compare these platforms because you end up you know, asking different questions about them um, because they have different different features. Um, but I really think a big part of what you want to think about is not so much like which platform because of what I was just saying, but more try to understand, you know, what, what do people think their audience is for that platform? And I think that's going to be the more important predictor. Is this something my parents are seeing? Is this something that the whole world is seeing? Is this something for my friends? Um, and that's where you're going to see, I think, you know, different levels of, of inhibition, you know, in terms of what you're going to post. Yeah. I, th the other thing that came to mind was, um, you said, you know, talking about f having family on Facebook and maybe you wouldn't post certain things. Um, I don't know what it's called. Maybe Drake knows. I don't, maybe you do Gwendolyn, but what is it called when somebody has like a, a second account, like a secret account they use, a they burner. post it. It's their burner account. Is it just their burner account? I don't know, that's what I call it. Yeah, I didn't know, okay. I didn't know the phenomenon. I didn't know there was a, like, <laughs> a need for it. Yeah. So, so, you know, like I think about the fact that I've got family members on Facebook. And again, I don't post anything anywhere, basically. I post the occasional photo of dinner that I've made or breakfast or a meal or something. But that's about it. But 
I'm Kyle's thinking a burner of, account is what he's trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I have a burner account where I post all the saucy photos. <laughs> but but like, is is that a common thing for people, or or is it a consideration that you have to make when you're doing this kind of research and say to yourself, okay, I'm asking about their primary account, or I'm asking about their secondary account, or does that factor in at all to some of this work that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I usually ask people, um, as I said, I've kind of moved away from saying, let's just look at Facebook or whatever because of some of those problems. So I'll often ask, like, what's your primary account, the one you use the most? And then I hope that that's kind of, you know, tracking tracking that sort of thing. I mean, obviously, it's st- it still might not because um, there's, there's, there's so many fine-tuned kinds of distinctions here. Um, and a lot of people still say, like in general populations, that their main one is Facebook um, because I think among people that are not college students that that's still the most popular one. It's just with the college student populations, they're usually using other stuff. Uh, but I'll ask what the primary is and then you know, ask them to answer all the questions with respect to that one. Uh, but it's a little tricky because then, you know, again, it's a little apples and oranges. So um, the other approach that I've seen done is also to just ask about a specific one. But then the problem is, again, if it's not the primary, if you're asking about Facebook and the person barely uses it, I'm not sure what that really says about the way they present themselves. You know, if it's yeah. like, oh, that's the one I don't use. So sure, I post one thing every three months. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I prefer the sort of pick one approach, even though it's less precise, because I guess I feel like I'm tapping into more of whatever it is that they, you know, whatever they actually do on social media, as opposed to how they use some marginal site. Uh, but obviously there's issues with that that approach too. So hopefully with both approaches in there, uh, we can arrive at some kind of truth. I'm curious to just get your perspective, even if it's speculative. Um, what are like the worst, I guess, worst pictures slash posts that you can be making uh, as a couple? Like, you know, if, if someone were to come to you as the, as the researcher, as the expert on this, you know, what would you say to hold off on when it comes to posting with, about your partner? Um, yeah, I would say anything I think that's, you know, overtly sexual, I think is a problem. People are going to find that, uh, inappropriate. Um, I would say that, you know, even though it's certain things might be borderline, um, in terms of just sort of being affectionate or kissing your partner on the cheek, um, I guess I would be, this is just my own personal opinion, more cautious about that kind of thing. Cause I feel like you're more likely to make enemies than friends, um, Maybe that's just me. I, I have this thing I say about myself or one of the reasons I don't post a lot on social media is because when I see other people's stuff, there's like a 10% chance it raises my opinion of them. Maybe 50% chance it does nothing and 40% that it lowers it. So I just feel like you're better off not. <laughs> maybe that, maybe I, I'm I just like really that. judgmental, but that's sort of, um, so I feel like you, you know, you're, you're better off not, not posting something. Um, you're opening yourself up for judgment at that point, right? It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> So I think with the relationship stuff, I, I think it's, you know, yeah, you want to have, like I said in the beginning, sort of some acknowledgments. People don't think like, hey, where the heck's your spouse? Like, why are they not anywhere on any of your photos or anything like that? That might look a little weird to people. But I think that beyond that, you're taking the risk of annoying people, like you were saying before. Some people don't, you know, particularly if it's something like a happy anniversary, something like that. I think that's fine. But if it's these sort of, you know, lo- love poems and things like that, that you feel like, you know, that could have been done in private sort of thing. Um, you know, whereas something like, you know, the happy anniversary, that's the kind of thing you would be celebrating with other people anyway. So I think you want to think about like, would I say this in front of other people? Like, would I, <laughs> so would I say <laughs> yeah. a homemade love poem to my partner in front of everyone we know? Yeah. 
or not. Read out, a, read out of like a cocktail party to your, to your partner in front of everybody. I don't know. I guess the whole vows thing, you know, but it's like, would you just spontaneously, you know, break out in song about your partner in front of other people? That's, yeah. that's the question. And it's, you know, so I think that you want to sort of use that level of discretion on social media also. Yeah, and I think this is why we kind of, you know, we got onto this topic and we ended up speaking with you and getting you on the podcast. It was because of Valentine's Day, right? And that's like, you say, you know, you get your vows, that makes sense to read out loud in front of people. But again, Valentine's Day, it's that kind of online version where you're like, okay, you can do a little love letter for your partner. Everybody's going to give you a pass today, right? Uh, but how often does posting, you know, those those ballads or, you know, or pictures of your partner, even if it's just a picture of your partner, how often is like too much? I asked this question on Instagram. I'm curious to see what the results are afterwards. Yeah, that's kind of hard to say because I feel like a lot of that is really opinion. I'm, I'm curious also what, what people say. Yeah. I think for some people, it's going to be like, oh, you really should not be posting that stuff at all unless it's like, hey, you're on vacation together or something. Like, why are you just posting this kind of stuff at all? So you have people who have that attitude. Then you have people who are like, oh, no, it's fine. Just don't do it a lot. So, you know, I don't really know what, you know, what, the, what it's normative, I guess, in terms of that. And I'd, I'd imagine like people really have different levels of perceptions. I'm, I'm kind of curious how your, your poll turns out. Uh, <laughs> well, so far, I mean, so far, I'll give you a couple of the quick ones. Uh, some are saying never, uh, that they haven't done that. My mom included. Uh, I mean, she's, she, she loves her partner, though. It's all good. And then some have said that, like, they haven't posted since the, the one, one of the funnier ones is Canada Day 2019, specifically. So, I mean, uh, there's a lot of variants. Uh, some are weekly, some are, some are not so much, but there's a lot of variants for sure. Yeah, and I think there's different kinds of things. That's one of the tricky things about when you're kind of looking at this research is what behaviors are you asking about? You know, so having a, a profile photo with your partner, I mentioned that, that's like fairly common. Uh, mm -hmm. Posting like what I was calling ex excessive displays is actually really rare. There weren't that many people in the sample that we had anyway who said that they did that with any kind of frequency. Um, it, was, it was unusual. Thank goodness. Thank <laughs> 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 um, You know, and even just posting in general, I, I always try to control for how active people are on social media. Because obviously, if I'm a person who only posts three things a year, then I don't post about my partner either. Uh, so uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the problems, I think, with a lot of the, the research literature is they don't always control for that. So that I'm not sure if I'm just looking at a person who's active on social media or a person who's particularly showing their relationship. And I don't really know how to interpret those results sometimes. So. Right. Yeah. Like what percentage of your posts are about your couple versus, you know, you, you could have somebody that posts 10 times a day and they post, you know, maybe once every week about their partner, but then you have someone that posts three times a year, like you said, and then they never post with their partner. So that percentage is really important. In, yeah. So I think I like when people, some of the research has actually looked at the you know percentage. They'll be like, look at your last 10 posts. How many of those mentioned your partner? You know, and I think that's like a better way to do it because that way you're kind of controlling for just their baseline activity because baseline activity just differs so much as everybody knows right from person to person uh, that you, you really need to have something to compare it to. Mm -hmm. So, 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 Gwendolyn, what are the motives behind engaging in this stuff, these dyadic like displays or presentations online? Like, what have you found uh, uh, in your work? Yeah, so we were interested in looking at a bunch of different motives, um, and we were sort of curious if some of them would be separate motives or not. Um, and it basically turned out that they kind of fell into like four categories. Um, so one of those was um, something that we called uh, communal motives. So that had to do with kind of trying to, you know, get closer to your partner, um, you know, express caring for your partner, that sort of thing. Um, and all those kind of sentiments just tended to kind of 
uh, go together, like people that said they did one of those things, did another. So just showing how much you love your partner, that sort of thing. Um, but there was also this totally separate thing, which was self-enhancing motives. So, you know, trying to create a good impression of yourself by posting about your relationship. So thinking that it would increase your social status or could make people jealous or something like that. So that stuff tended to be, so people who endorsed, you know, those, those items, they tend to kind of clump together. Uh, and then we also looked at uh, some stuff that was actually uh, a measure that uh, Kruger and Forrest came out with like last year about protecting your relationship from threats. And um, in that measure, they looked at two kinds of threats. So one of them was like potential rivals. That is, I want to show everybody else that my partner's taken so that nobody tries to like put the moves on them. And then there's also protection from potential suitors. Like I want people to know that I'm taken so they don't come on to me. Um, and they actually found that those things were... I would have expected those to be kind of two separate motives, but actually they found that people who said they were worried about suitors were also worried about rivals. Like they seem to track each other uh, in general. So those were kind of the, the three main categories of motives that we, that we looked at. Um, and then we also looked at, I think I mentioned before, this kind of separate category of this privacy thing, like a desire to keep the relationship private um, and, and concern about maybe alienating other people with the relationship. You know, and again, we thought that those might be two different things. Like maybe there's a difference between I don't want to alienate other people um, or make them uncomfortable versus um, I just don't think it's anybody's business about my relationship. But all that stuff seemed to kind of clump together um, anyway. It's a kind of one tendency to, to want to keep it private. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting that the, the suitors and the rivals is such a funny uh, I mean, it's funny to me, but I mean, I, I've seen it in my relationships. I've seen it in other relationships. They're like, well, you're not posting enough about me. How are these girls supposed to know that you're dating somebody? <laughs> like, it's right, like, right. It's, it, it happens. And it, I can I can definitely see that. We had a Dr. Chris Berry on talking about uh, self-perception and and, uh, and selfies. And so it's coming to my head right now where I'm thinking about like, what if you're just really bad at taking pictures? And like, I know my partner complains <laughs> all the time about me taking really shitty pictures. And she's like, we don't have any good pictures of, his, of each other. I'm like, well, it's because I'm not going to take you pictures and you complain every time. So I'm like, what does that, how does that play a role in this too? I'm like, I'm, I'm sure it does. Yeah, it probably does. Like there's so many, that's what's so frustrating about this. There's so many features that like obviously make a difference. Like I don't like the way I look in photos or I don't take good photos and things like that mm-hmm. that are going to affect things. And, you know, it's just difficult in, you know, in research, as you guys know, to like measure every single possible, you yeah. know, alternative explanation and have it in there. Um, but it, it is one of the reasons that, you know, you often I think don't get really, really, really strong results um, in general, because when you're looking at something like, well, how much do I post on social media? It's just determined by so many things. We already talked about base rates of posting, but also just, yeah, like how comfortable you are with your appearance. There's just so many different kinds of things that are going to influence it. So yeah. uh, you have to sort of, whenever, whenever you're doing this research, just realize it's not like you're saying, oh, well, if you post, it must be because of like one of these two reasons. Or if you don't, it must be because you don't care about these things. You know, like that's really not how I would ever interpret that research. Because otherwise, I don't post a lot. So this says terrible things about my own relationship. According to my, I, my so you're research. saying that the, you know, Instagram, Facebook, they shouldn't have like a warning before you post a picture. Like, are you sure you want to post another couple picture this week? Like they shouldn't be doing that. Uh, I completely agree with you. I think so. So, you know, your, your work on this, you talk about the this investment model. Do you want to explain what this investment model is? I think it's I think it's awesome. I think it's a really cool uh, concept. Yeah, so the investment model is, uh, it's one of these real kind of classics in relationships research, uh, well-known uh, theories proposed by uh, Carol Rustbolt, and it basically tries to kind of understand uh, relationship commitment. And so the idea is that people often think, 
intuitively, like, oh, I'm going to be more committed in my relationship if I'm happier with it, if it's more satisfying, more rewarding, doesn't have a lot of bad stuff going on. And that's true. But what she was interested in was kind of taking um, like an economic approach to it um, and sort of a you know cold, calculated uh, kind of way of, of looking at what really determines commitment. It's not just about how happy you are. And so the investment model looks at uh, your level of investment, which is kind of how much you've put into the relationship or would stand to lose if it broke up. So if you imagine if you have children, right? Um, so you're gonna, you have more to lose, right? If you were to end that relationship, uh, you know, or even just the fact that you've spent years of your life, um, you know, and energy and money and time putting into the relationship, that's gonna make you more committed regardless of, of how good the relationship is. Um, and then the third element that goes into commitment is uh, quality of alternatives. Um, that is, you know, how well do you think you could do outside of your current relationship? So is being single better than my current relationship or are there other partners out there that are better than my current relationship? And those things all contribute to satisfaction. So it can explain why unsatisfying relationships can stay together. Because if you think you can't do any better, right, or um, you have invested a lot, you still might feel like, this is the best thing you've got going on and you stay committed, you know, or you could have a pretty good relationship, uh, but you think, Hey, I can still do better. And I'm not very invested in this. Um, and that makes you less committed. So that's kind of the basic uh, sort of theoretical background. That's obviously not, not my mm. thing. It's oh, like yeah. most famous things in my field. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's, but that's, that's what, what you're attaching to the social media, you know, engagement is, is based on that investment model. Um, yeah. That's, you know, predicting those, those outcomes. Right, right. So we were kind of trying to understand, like, how do these motives for presenting your relationship on social media connect to some of those elements, you know, satisfaction, investment, alternative quality. Um, and basically, so we had, if you remember our motives from before, so we had those uh, communal motives, which were like, wanting to show affection and love for your partner. Um, and those were associated um, with both satisfaction and investment. Um, what was interesting was the relationship protection motives, like keeping rivals away from you or your, or your partner. Um, that was associated with investment, but actually not with satisfaction when we had everything in the model together. So some of the past research had shown it was related to satisfaction, but when we put everything in together, the statistically, uh, it turns out that investment was really what better explained that um, mm -hmm. and not satisfaction. Because obviously all of these things are related to each other, like investment and satisfaction are correlated. Um, but basically, it was really more of a sign that you were invested in that relationship uh, as opposed to that it was a particularly good one, one way or the other. Uh, and then the self-enhancing motives really did not connect to satisfaction or investment uh, and, in fact, connected to uh, quality of alternatives and uh, like a lack of commitment. So if you're there posting about your relationship because you want to show off or look good, uh, that was actually a sign of maybe something not so good for the stability of your relationship. Um, right. You know, I we mentioned before the privacy motives also um, were associated with, you know, thinking you had other high quality alternatives and less commitment as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense to me. Like the the idea of like uh, whenever we're talking about the you know relationship protection motives, um, you know, if you're trying to like show that you're with a partner just to protect from possible suitors for your your partner or from yourself, I mean. I don't see why that would be predicting satisfaction in the relationship, but, you know, by posting more, it's showing that you are invested in the relationship and willing to do that. Um, I, I think every time I think of self-presentation, I think of, and like breakups and, and relationships, I think of like, uh, you know, you're, you're in a relationship and it's not going very well. And then your partner out of the blue starts working out every day and eating healthy for a month. <laughs> um, 
and then they start posting more pictures yeah, online. <laughs> and I think of that, right? And I think of you know how you present yourself online, and your you know how the couple presents themselves online, right? So I mean, it's it's a really interesting dynamic of posting with your partner and not posting with your partner, and having that kind of those those motives that are driving that that behavior. Yeah, and it, and it makes sense that you know if if you are looking for alternatives, that yeah, you're going to be. Um, not posting about your relationship, you know, or if you are, you're going to be doing it in a way that's more self-enhancing as opposed to something that's, you know, expressing love for your partner or whatever. That's obviously not why you're doing it. I was just about to ask about that sort of self-enhancement component. Like, do, do you see, like Drake mentioned, obviously, you know, working out, getting in shape, doing whatever it is to sort of enhance your capital when you enter the free market. But it's like, do people ever self-enhance in such a way that they say, like, look at all the nice things I'm doing for this person that I'm about to leave and this could be you in a month or whatever. It does make sense to self-enhance in general by you know showing off that you're such a great partner and that sort of thing. Like, obviously, they're, you know, there is a reason to do that. Um, the, the question is, I mean, as a good follow-up study, is like, how do other people react to it? I mean, it's, there's a whole kind of other area of research on, you know, mate poaching and that sort of thing. And this idea that, you know, when you know someone has been in a successful relationship before, it makes them more desirable because you're like, oh, this is somebody that someone else actually liked. This was a good, you know, a good person to, to be with. Um, this is episode, I'm going to show my age now, Seinfeld, if you guys ever watched Seinfeld. Of course, yes. Okay, all right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The other one where where George um, basically takes this photograph of a professional model and goes to these nightclubs and says like, "This is my ex fiance who died," you know, and then suddenly he's able to get all these all these models interested in him. So I guess that's kind of silly, but it's but it's the idea is like he's showing some kind of like proof that he's desirable, you know, by yeah. the fact that someone else wanted a relationship with him. So mm-hmm. you know, I think it is it's kind of like kind of like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I think of, you know, other ways of self-enhancement that I, I, I think of is like, you know, when your partner's like, you take a couple pictures and they look good and re- they really look good in one and you look awful in that picture. And they're like, I'm going to post that picture anyway, because <laughs> it makes them look really good. Uh, but you, not so much. On the other hand, you might want your partner to look good because you want to show off that your partner was True. was good looking. I mean, mm-hmm. that was an area I was actually interested in a separate study. And we had a really hard time kind of sussing it out. We were looking at, at narcissism in particular. And we thought that people who were narcissistic would be more likely to post stuff about their partner if their partner, if they at least thought their partner was good looking. Uh, but we actually didn't find um, evidence of that. And then we even tried a, an experiment where we said, here, imagine this person's your partner. And we showed a picture of an average or good looking person. Um, and there still wasn't a difference in how likely they were to share it. The only thing we found was that in the people who were in the good looking partner condition, um, we said, oh, here's a couple photos of your partner. Um, and one of them was like them like in a bathing suit. And one of them was them in regular clothes. Uh, and we found that narcissistic people were more inclined to post those like sexy photos if they had the good looking partner. So they were showing sort of some sense, you know, some tendency to kind of show off the partner. But it wasn't as as much as I would have expected. So I don't know if it was just the way that we had um, assessed that. Because I thought, because obviously there's a little paradox there, because it's like showing off that partner could take attention away from me, the narcissist, you know, yeah. or it can make me look good because it's like a trophy. So I don't yeah. know if those things end up like canceling each other out. Right. Um, I'm curious too about how gender plays a role in that too, because, you know, you're thinking about, you know, posting your partner in a more sexy uh, light. Uh, do men do that more? With, with, were the men doing that more than the women? Because I think I'd imagine you know, they, they would. I mean, most people in that study, and these are undergrads, actually said that they would not be inclined to post that bathing suit photo of their partner. So most people right. felt that that was a little like, 
you know, so if you actually look at, look at the means, I mean, people were like much more likely to pick the right. clothes photo, even though the bathing suit photo was obviously like a, attractive, but it was like, that's just not appropriate. Yeah. Um, but I think, I'm trying to remember, I've looked at the data, but I think that the men may have done that a little more. The sample was very gender skewed because it was undergrads. Yeah. It was like, so, you know, <laughs> you yeah. know what happened. 70-30. Uh, so, <laughs> So we may, we may have had stronger effects and we actually had, you know, some more men because they might be a little bit more inclined to think about this, their partners like a physical trophy, whereas women might be more inclined to like not want people to think that like they weren't good looking enough for their partner or something. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's just speculation. Yeah, uh, just, a, just a little edit as well, just to, for our non-psychology research viewers, which is most of them. <laughs> um, most psychology studies are predominantly whenever their uh, undergrad populations are predominantly female. Uh, that's I think that's what uh, Kyle was referring to as a 70-30, which is 70% female, 30% male. And that's just kind of the breakdown of psychology uh, in most universities. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that, that aside, um, <laughs> I love the work that you're doing on this. I, I know you're, you know, Gwendolyn, you're a Psychology Today blogger, uh, and you've done some really cool uh, stuff on you know, dating in COVID. And I feel like we'd be silly not to mention COVID in this episode. Um, so what um you know just like all the other ones because like we're you know just pretending it's not existing and that makes us happy um but um you know how i don't know if anybody's heard of this pandemic <laughs> that we're dealing with have any of you been experiencing this there's comment in the comment box an isolated you know, thing this is the first time you're hearing about <laughs> yeah. it just let us know um it'd be great yeah. to know and then i'm moving wherever you're living <laughs> yeah i'd love to go there why not uh so anyway back to you know how do we do like what's what's changed in this because this is something that i've been loving to talk about especially with our like anybody that's doing relationship research and like you know how has it really impacted dating uh because we all know it has um you know being in lockdown and not being able to see it yeah so certainly for for dating i mean it's affected obviously people in existing relationships i think probably dating even more i mean so many of the ways that people would meet people just basically uh disappeared um, because of, of lockdown um and you know if, and not even just the fact that you can't meet people but people that are single who live alone um or missing a lot of their social contacts. So they may actually have even more of a need. Because you might think, oh, I'm single, I have friends, we go out, it's cool, I don't need to be dating all the time or looking for a relationship. But you know, if you imagine like being single and living alone during lockdown, um, that's a really different situation than just regular single life. And so I would think people would be more likely to, to want to date. And both out of just that boredom thing, uh, but also I think, um, that just things, major crises and things like this, you know, cause a certain kind of like existential angst, have people kind of reevaluating their priorities in life and their, their goals for themselves, their family. And so you're single and it might have you reevaluating like, wait, maybe I really do want a relationship and suddenly thinking about that stuff more. Um, Cause there's a lot of, of other research in social psych, you know, that shows that, you know, when people sort of are reminded of death, like literally like in lab studies, um, you remind them of death, you know, that it makes them have more of this kind of crisis of meaning. And I just feel like the pandemic's like an everyday reminder of death. Um, so mm -hmm. the big terror management theory, uh, the theory is called experiment, uh, long-term, longitudinal one. So I think that's going to affect people's, you know, way they see their relationships, whether that's people that are in, currently in one, but also, you know, if you're single and thinking like, hey, maybe I really do want somebody. So I think you're going to get both kind of that more serious thing and then also that I'm bored, so I'm going to go on match. So I think you're going to probably have both. Um, I know that the dating sites had a huge increase in uh, users like during lockdown, as you would probably expect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm glad, like, 
I'm glad you mentioned it before we went on to the show. You, you talked about how Match.com had a big has a lot of survey data that they've collected uh, since COVID's happened. They, they you know routinely do this, but uh, I, I wanted to mention a couple of stats that I thought were hilarious, uh, and just kind of we could talk about them if you like. Uh, so. 26% of singles are people that were, people are single, they're calling them singles, um, broke up due to staying stay at home orders. So they like a quarter of people that were together at the beginning of COVID broke up because of the stay at home orders. Uh, uh, and some couples <laughs> were actually trying, like, I think that's crazy first off, but I also, I was one of those people that experienced just that. Like, I mean, so like, it's not insane for me to believe that it's like kind of like a Tinder box in a, in a way. And I like to use Tinder box for a reason, like, because the Tinder's really popular right now and a lot of people are using it, um, you know, but a lot of people are really, you know, in situations. Thanks for explaining the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I try my best. For those people that don't know what Tinder is, dating app, then you know, I'm just um, but yeah, no, I think it's, I think that's really interesting that, you know, I actually am surprised it's not more, but I mean, I guess that's like a quarter is a lot of relationships. The quarter is pretty high. I mean, what's interesting is there's a whole bunch of data on like divorce and actually, you know, divorce actually went down a little bit. It's hard to say why, because it might be that, you know, going to the divorce attorney and all that and doing that in the middle of the pandemic is kind of tricky. But the studies on relationship satisfaction don't necessarily show that at least on an established couples that it's going down. Um, it's more that couples that already have problems um, had a decline and couples that were doing well, actually, a lot of them did better. They actually got closer. You know, they spent more time together. They you know, I think you kind of get to know the person better or something. You're seeing your your spouse at work and you're kind of having all these like shared experiences and you can sort of appreciate maybe more, you know, what your spouse does, you know, both at home and at work. And so couples that were doing well, like it was an improvement. Couples that had problems and tensions and stuff beforehand, as you can imagine, uh, it was not a good thing. Um, so it's kind of like, a, you know, what they that phrase, you know, the you know rich, rich get richer, poor get poorer kind of thing. So people that already had good relationships did well. So I think when you're talking about some of these uh, maybe newer relationships, so those are going to, of course, be less stable than the kind of like marriage type relationships I was talking about. So yeah. more of those are probably going to break up at some point anyway, if they've only been together for, you know, several months or something like that. So they were probably already unstable and they're probably going to break up later anyway. So maybe you should feel okay about your, your breakup. I, I, feel, I, I feel great. I feel great. It's honestly, <laughs> maybe just sped up the process. And that's, that's, that's what I've been saying to a lot of people too, you know, the friends and friends and family. I mean, it's happening to, it's happening to a quarter relationships, but a lot of people that are breaking up and, you know, seeing a lot of change in their lives because of, you know, the stress and, uh, you know, maybe just sped up the process that was inevitable in that point. I think that's really cool. Uh, well, another stat from this that I really like that I is, just blows my mind, but I ask it, it's not crazy at all. 25% of singles had an ex reach out to them during the pandemic, <laughs> and it didn't always stop at messaging, they said. <laughs> so over one in 10 singles actually rekindled. Spicy. One in 10 rekindled that relationship, which is just, it hurts me. It hurts me to see everybody going back to their exes like that. <laughs> We're getting a lot of insight into Drake's personal life in this episode. I'm here for it. Gwendolyn, yeah. um, as as somebody who is in a stable, committed relationship, Drake right is now. my outlet for seeing the world. Well, I know you are. No, I know you are. I'm not. I I don't mean to cast aspersions. You're you're my source of entertainment on the dating front. Absolutely. Anyways. Yeah, I mean, I think I actually am not at all surprised that people would reach no. out to exit. I mean, first of all, you've got that whole, you know, I'm bored of doing all this online stuff. Uh, but also, I think 
like I was saying before about the whole like existential crisis thing. And it's like, oh man, you know, maybe I shouldn't have broken up with that person. Like I got to kind of reevaluating your, your life and your goals and thinking like, maybe, you know, maybe that relationship was, you know, maybe that was the person I should have been with, you know? And I, I think the other thing is that, you know, typically when you're meeting new people, um, you want to kind of keep things light and flirty and, and that sort of thing. Like you don't bear your soul to people normally. You're not comfortable doing that necessarily. So I think that people might have felt this need to connect and thought, I don't want to go meet some new person on some dating app. And I'm, I was totally stressed about like COVID, my job, and I'm going to start confiding in some random person. I don't want to do that. And so here's this X. We already have a rapport. We already have intimacy. I can go ahead and do that, you know, and, and get that benefit from that relationship again. So I think, you know, whether that resulted in rekindling or not, but I think certainly it would explain why you might want to reach out. So both that kind of, maybe I really do want to get back together, kind of reevaluating your goals, but also just, I want to connect with somebody. I'm, I'm stressed out right now. I'm not in the mood for like light flirtation, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 You're going to cut the middleman out and just kind of get right into that comforting relationship again. <laughs> Go yeah. back to what you know. Absolutely. And uh, so the last one that I think is, you know, building on this, we're doing it perfectly here, just building on our conversation, but nearly one in four, so 25% is, this seems to be the number here, um, of singles had sex with a non-romantic roommate in the past six months, um, which, and then they said 46% of Gen Zers and then 33% of millennials. So those are driving the numbers there. Uh, so it's showing that, you know, people are, not really. Maybe maybe they're just missing sex, and they just want to you know have sex, and the yeah. roommate's like the only person that's there. So I guess I'm not romantically attached to you, but this is what I have for options, right? So that's a lot. Of, that's a lot, though. Twenty five percent. It was higher than I would have predicted. Like if you had, if you had uh, asked me before I saw that stat, I would have thought, okay, some people will do that. I just feel like that kind of surprises me because it's not even just your comfort with casual sex, but the fact that you're attracted enough to the person as well um, to do that and and aren't concerned about how it affects your relationship or whatever. So, or even have a roommate that's, you know, that's like, brilliant. I don't know. Was it only among people who had a roommate that was like of the sex they would have sex with? Or was it just like all people? It says nearly I, one in four singles had sex with non-romantic roommates. I would assume that would be if they had non-romantic, like out of people that had non-romantic Yeah, because I think otherwise, I think like a lot of people just have, or heterosexual have a same-sex roommate. Whereas I feel, so yeah. I feel like if that, you know, that would be, that would be an even more impressive stat. Yeah, oh, it'd be a really impressive <laughs> yeah. stat. You know? They're like, I'm no longer gonna, con like, I'm no longer playing by my sexual orientation because I miss sex that much. Like that would be a very impressive stat. Like this is like a prison <laughs> thing. Like the kid, is it the Kinsey scale? Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like that. Yeah, scale, yeah. yeah. And are you totally? Yeah, like, we're just like the, the pandemic has completely moved people on the. <laughs> we're just sliding down the scale. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was one of the most shocking. I feel like I definitely would not have predicted such a high number. Just to clarify, this Kinsey scale. From my memory, it's you know a scale from one to whatever of being very heterosexual to being very homosexual and then you know figuring out where you are in that boundary just so anybody's curious uh, it's a it's a dated scale but it's like people have used it to see how heterosexual or homosexual uh by, by orientation i i find those numbers really really fascinating this is the first time i'm hearing them drake's mm -hmm. obviously looked before we started recording and gwendolyn you were obviously privy to them quite a while back but those yeah. are some really astounding findings especially that last one. I mean, the, the yeah. X thing I thought, did not surprise me. I thought the X thing, I can totally see that. The yeah. roommate thing surprised me more. I mean, but I guess people really, you know, really wanted that connection. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it suggests there's really a, a maybe a high level of, you know, feeling of, of isolation, um, you know, among people who are, 
are single. Um, and, and there was actually some study I was just heard presented at a conference uh, just last week about how single people were, you know, much more happy being single, you know, if they were having sex. I guess it's not too surprising. Uh, but single people who were having sex were not that happy with it. So uh, maybe that explains why some of these people were getting out there and they weren't, and they just thought, I'm miserable. I'm just going to go for the roommate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very insightful. I mean, it's funny that, uh, you know, I mean, clearly sex plays a big role in people's happiness in some shape or form, depending on who you yeah. are. And it's like, it's just, it's curious to see that there doesn't have to be that, that standard, you know, standard issue monogamous relationship to, to be getting the, the same kind of outcomes of happiness. Right. Um, but yeah, stressful times gotta have sex somehow and your roommates may be <laughs> the best option for you. So it's very cool. Um, so Gwendolyn, Good stress release. Yeah, it's an amazing stress release. That's perfect. Um, <laughs> what um, is there anything else that you'd like to touch on before we let you go, Gwen? Because we know we've we've had uh, this has been a, this has been a good episode. It's been a long episode. So, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you really think that our viewers would like to hear about the work that you're doing, or, or you know, dating or relationships in general? I mean, I guess the one thing I want to say is just the fact that there's still all this uncertainty. So you know. Even the fact that I was like, oh, well, people who don't show their relationship, it's like, oh, they're less committed. And, you know, not to like take anything as, you know, a hard fact, like people who do this are like this kind of thing. Um, and not to like read too much into any individual thing. And obviously all of us do social science research. And so we keep talking about the average person. And that's just like literally like an average, like a mathematical average of people. So whether or not that applies to any actual individual you know, you know, you have other information about that person. So, you know, you should use that. Don't freak out if your partner's not, you know, posting about you on social media. You know, look at other variables that you know about that person. Excellent. Uh, Gwendolyn, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we've really enjoyed. How can our listeners and our viewers get in touch with you if they want to follow up or had further questions or anything of that nature? Sure. So I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, so at uh, GSideman PhD. I don't post a lot. It's mostly just psych-related things. So if you're interested in psych, then that's that's where to go. Um, just sort of relationships, social media stuff, other stuff I think is interesting related to social psych. Um, and then there's also my blog at Psychology Today. If you just Google my name and Psychology Today, you'll find it. Um, and then I'll typically you know tweet out recent posts. But if you want to look at some of the stuff I, I've written about, some of the topics we talked about today, so if you're interested in that, um, you can definitely check out the uh, the blog there at Psych Today. Fantastic. They're well worth the read, absolutely. Gwendolyn, thank you. We've had a great time. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed. And uh, remember, keep those posts to yourself. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.